War Room, the Hockey Podcast. We are in episode 61 this week. Um, 61. Yep. Now, does that mean we no longer have that new podcast smell? <laughs> Is that gone? <laughs> Maybe so. Um, but 61 episodes this week. Uh, we're going to, uh, again, cover a couple headlines uh, before we start, and then we're going to get into um, a bit of a discussion, back and forth, um, pros and cons a little bit of uh, junior hockey or college hockey. So just kind of discuss um, a lot of it will be obviously subjective with um, obviously your your st- your stats, uh, your um, commitment numbers and, and alumni numbers and all this stuff. But um, we will be covering uh, the comparison between the two, uh, if you will. So um, but before anything, make sure you head to the necessary social media platforms. Um, Warm the Hockey Podcast and at Warm the Hockey Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, respectively. I'll touch on those again at the end. Um, make sure you like and follow. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, rate and review and um, enjoy this episode. Um, as we touch on a few headlines, um, first and foremost, um, I think this has kind of been our biggest question so far um, is BCHL announces a tentative December 1st start date um, for like their it. 2021 season. Now, um, I'm in reading some quotes from the commissioner and those involved, um, they kind of cover exactly what we've been saying. Um, they've had discussions with Ministry of Tourism, Arts and Culture uh, since March. Um, pushing back to December would gives them the best chance at having a f- full season or somewhat close to a full season. Um, the reality, though, and here's a quote from the chairman of the BCHL Board of Directors, uh, Graham Frazier. Uh, he said, the reality is that for us to be able to operate, we need fans in our buildings. Bingo. That's what he said. So, um, quote, it became clear from our discussions Um, with the PHO that the best way to accomplish this would be to delay the start of our season to give time to assess the effects of a potential second wave of COVID during flu season. Uh, So pushing back to December allows a bit of mulling things over, if you will. Um, teams will, Teams will have the option to hold an extended training camp from September to November. Uh, which will include regular on-ice training once the province moves into phase three of uh, via Sport BC's return-to-play model. Exhibition competition with other BCHL teams will be expanded in region, is what it says. Um, So uh, training camps will be permitted as early as September 8th under current mass gathering restrictions, which only allow up to 50 people on the ice and in the stands. Um, And they may all also continue to run summer invite camps up until that date. So um, there's a little bit more information there on the return to play uh, plan for the BCHL. Mm-hmm. Nothing has come out about uh, the CHL yet. Yeah. The- um, but at least the BCHL and the CJHL, in, if you will. Right. And again, it's, it's a thing province by province difference between Canada and the United States um, is it's province by province. So BC might have a tentative December 1st start date, whereas Alberta or Manitoba might be different just based on their, their regulations. But BCHL December 1st tentative, uh, tentative December 1st start date. I would be most concerned maybe about the Quebec league because, uh, you know, not, not to misread the numbers, but they've had more positive cases, haven't had any more problems from it. 
um, frankly, I don't think that COVID-19 is any worse than the first 18 of them were, but uh, it seems like Quebec had a lot more um, a lot more positive tests. So whether that matters or not, I mean, it doesn't mean doesn't equate to death or problems, but just more positive tests. So I don't know if that's going to delay the queue from starting or if they're all going to come in together, which I would imagine would make the most sense. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, speaking of the NHL, um, David Pasternak deemed unfit to play. Um, yeah, I saw it. He, he tested negative. But they've got him in quarantine. What's up with that? <clears throat> so, I don't know. Um, I'm curious to see what unfit to play means. As, um, one of the things I read up to this point was that if you're deemed unfit to play, it's the same as um, uh, testing positive, which means you have to you you have to wait two weeks and and do all of that stuff. Why, um, why why would you test negative and then be unfit to play and be down for two unless weeks? Unless he's is... unless he's hurt, unless there's a mixture of <laughs> being sick and so then being cautious or him being hurt. So they just so there's upper body injury and there's lower body injury for the ambiguity. So nobody targets your bad ankle or your bad shoulder. Is this going to become an inner body injury? Is that what we get to call this from now on? I don't know. I, I will say this, though. If the, if the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs can get past Columbus, I'm hoping David <laughs> Pasternak isn't isn't fit to play. So, um, Yeah. Because the likelihood is, and again, seating is everything, but the likelihood is Toronto gets Boston if uh, they get past Columbus. So, um, As usual. <clears throat> excuse me. So um, I'd, I'd hope if I were them that uh, Pasternak is unfit. Um, but... Real quick, I want to touch on what we mentioned last week, uh, John Leahy's question of during the draft, do teams draft based on need or do they take best available? Um, the answer to that is yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, a very broad, well, broad strokes yes. I'll give, it, so. I'll give it this much. When you're, in, when you're in the very, very top of the draft, let's take this year, for example. If you're... If your evaluation has Quentin Byfield at the very top of your of your list, once the the top pick is gone, once uh, once Alexi's out to wherever it is, he's going to go. If you want that, if, if Byfield is your guy, you're going to take Byfield. If Byfield is in a group of guys. Jamie Drysdale, you know, a couple of the other top defensemen, and you happen to be looking down your depth chart and running way short of right shot defensemen, you're probably going to take Drysdale. If the guy that you have at the top of your list is not a clear-cut, hands-down favorite over the next four or five players, then you're taking, you're drafting based on need. When you're when you're drafting a guy at the very top end of the draft, you're going to take the best player, regardless of what you need. But once you get down into that first, let's say eight or 10 or 12, 15 picks, 20 picks, depending on the depth of each season, once you get past that, they start to kind of blur together a little bit. So then, then you're probably not, you're not going to take a, a a guy based on position too far down in the draft would be my 
would be my general way of looking at it. Later, you know, later rounds are definitely the rounds where you're basically taking what best available. Right. Um, first round um, is m- more of a mixture. Um, yep. Like first overall draft pick, more often than not, is going to take the top rated guy, regardless of the position. Right. Um, but beyond that, after number one, you are likely going to get um, a situation where um, you'll take the best available unless unless you have a dire need. Right. That's correct. So, If I'm understanding your st- statement correct. I of, think you are. Of Byfield's the best amongst a group. If Byfield's the best amongst a group, you take Byfield. But if you, if you look down your depth chart and you need and you need a right shot or a left shot or whatever the case may be, then you're going to take this guy because they fit that particular need. So Correct. it's a it's a it, team by team, position by position basis, basically. The, the, and and that's why it's really hard to give a clear cut answer to this because in a team in a team need, let's say Detroit right now, who's got a void at every position. They're just going to draft. They're going to draft everybody they can get their hands on. They're going to draft the best player available because they need defensemen. They need forwards. They need goaltending. They need everything. If if that team was, let's say, somebody uh, like Colorado. Colorado got uh, a couple of years ago, they got the pick from Ottawa in the Matt Duchesne deal. Colorado had the building blocks of a really, really good team two years ago. They felt like the best, not only the best player available, but the best player to suit their need happened to be Kale McCarr. So that's where they went. So it depends on if your team just needs to rebuild completely at every position, you're just going to grab the best guys you can get. If you have the luxury of saying, when I look into my system, I don't see many teenage and 20-year-old right-shot defensemen then I'm probably going to take a, take a guy like Drysdale or someone. But otherwise, you're generally taking best available. Because if you even if you have too many big mobile center icemen, you can always turn them into whatever it is you need in a couple of years. True. Because somebody's always, if you've got four great center icemen, there's going to be somebody that only has one. And they'll swap you a good defense prospect for him or a goaltender. True. So great question. No clear-cut answer to it, but in general, I would say more often than not, you're just taking best available. Yeah. If you had to go one way or the other, it's probably best available. Um, but again, it's a team-by-team basis on right. on the current situation you're in. Um, Detroit, for example, is desperate, um, whereas maybe... I don't know, pick pick a team now. Maybe a Philadelphia could go into this year's draft and be a little more selective can, just on the basis of we know that, okay, we're there. We just need this piece. Yep. So yeah. it's... Uh, the further you get into the draft, too, once you get per fast, if you get beyond the, the first half dozen or so, you got to realize that those kids may be anywhere from two to five years away. Yep. So you're... Now you really have to start to predict the future looking down your list of guys that you've drafted in the last couple of years and say, what are we missing? Who's not really developing the way we thought? Where do we need to shore up 
uh, shore up our system a little bit. Yep. So anyways, uh, John, I hope that answered your question. Uh, we appreciate you asking the question and engaging with us. It's, um, much, much appreciated. Um, Anyways, as we transition here, uh, War Room Hockey Podcast, episode 61, um, we're comparing NCAA college hockey and junior hockey. Um, but again, be sure, make sure you head to the necessary social media platforms and you, you like and follow us there as well as subscribe and rate and review before doing anything else. And then enjoy episode 61 this week, uh, college hockey versus junior hockey. We'll be right back. Episode 61 of War Room, the Hockey Podcast. Uh, this week is a um, topic we've kind of touched on in recent episodes as we talk about the commitment numbers um, from the BCHL showcase as we see uh, players committing to university, um, but also the obvious debate that we've had um, off recording uh, while we're not recording, but also uh, <laughs> amongst other things when we talk about um, Guys like Kent Johnson from the BCHL. Right. Uh, guys like Finley Williams, who was just traded to the Penticton V's, by the way, from the Prince George Spruce Kings. Did we? We um, didn't talk about him last week, did we? We didn't, but we've talked. But, we touched on it before um, yeah. during the BCHL showcase episodes, as well as with Kent Johnson. Uh, the I won't call it necessarily a debate, but just the the back and forth that we've had of they've committed to a university, but their rights also belong to a major junior team. Right. And the discussion we've we've had where I may mention they've committed and you mention well they they you know don't buy into it yet type of type Correct. of thing. So um, based on that, I thought we'd have at least an episode, no matter how long or short, uh, kind of comparing the two, <laughs> uh, just touching on the numbers, on the pros and cons of each of different things like that. Um, just simply because, um, and I did the stats and I did went through it, um, even though. Um, one out still outweighs the other. Uh, the gap is closing on on the numbers and uh, and all that stuff of not only the commitments but of overall the the number of alumni that go on to the NHL. Right. Um, so the number is the gap is closing. So I thought it'd be uh, good while we look for content to kind of discuss this a little bit. So well, this, uh, this relates to uh, our, our many off-camera discussions uh, during phase three of our return to beer uh, program that now we've got, um, you, you've got so many different paths. You've got guys coming out of Europe. You've got guys coming out of NC2A. You've got guys coming out of major junior, out of junior A. There's no, of course, like we like. There's so many questions, and and without one specific answer, there's many routes to take to the show or to further your education or what have you. And 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 we can go through all that. But it's a, it, at least now versus. I tell you this: 25, 30 years ago, college was out. There were probably two or three college players in the NHL. It was generally. Americans need not apply, and the game has changed a ton since then. In a generation, the entire complexion of the way 
uh, rosters are assembled in the NHL has completely changed. No, I agree. So uh, real quick, uh, just I want to get out of curiosity. Um, let's go through each one, and I just want to get kind of your, because I have the numbers, your guess on the teams in each place that have the most. Oh, man. Just just your You're, your you're going to put me on a spot here, aren't you? Uh, start in the queue, QMJHL. Top team in the queue that you, you th- would guess in the history, okay, these numbers are the history. This isn't, this Ooh, isn't 1920. This is the history of the queue. The history, everybody over the over the span of junior hockey, the numbers. Um, which which team would you say has the the most NHL alumni? Oh gosh, so now you got to look at teams that have been around for a really long time. Um, I'm going to take a I'm going to take a stab at. Laval. And Laval isn't even, I mean, they're, they're not even technically on their own anymore, but I'm going to take a stab at Laval Titan. Laval Teton. So the, 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 current, that, the current one being Acne Bathurst, but you're talking Laval because it's of the, all time. Of all time. Oh, you said the current one. See, well, there, there's. I mean, in the history. So whether they've merged or they've have it or they've changed cities, just I'm talking history. Yeah, oh, in history, I'd say Laval, okay. Moncton. Really, Moncton. Oh. Moncton has five thousand four hundred and twenty NHL alum or alums that have been that have seen time in the NHL. Is that right? I was. Gosh, that's good. That's so good they're the, they're the top one in the queue. Um, let's go to the O. Okay. Who's your, who would your your take be in the O? I'm gonna take my I, I'm gonna take the recent favorite and go with London. Yeah, is it? They 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 are in first place by over by five thousand <laughs> alum. Um, Kitchener is in second. Yeah, they have seven thousand eight hundred and seventy five. Maybe Peterborough. Um, then Flint. Flint. Okay. Um, but London has twelve thousand thirty four. Is so they are the cream of the crop, if you will, in terms of development and um, all, and NHL. Wow. Pumping out NHL players in the that's twice. That's over twice what Moncton's produced. Yeah. So, uh, and then the dub. Oh, boy. Top team in the dub. Top team in the dub. Oh. All time? I, just because they haven't been, I, I would say the Kelowna Rockets, our hometown guys, but they haven't been around all that long, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Brandon Wheat Kings. Kelowna, is it? Uh. Kelowna's got nine thousand one hundred twenty-nine total, and um, the next one, the next one behind them is Portland. And they've only been the Kelowna Rockets since what ninety-four or something, like. So they've pumped them out. Wow, no kidding. Um, now, now, excuse the boring nature, folks, but I just statistically wise, now I want to. Of the two, of the three, which one to- out of all the teams has the highest totals? Q- Dub, O, or Q? Oh, boy. I'm going to say the Ontario League probably followed uh, the Dub in second and the fewest most likely out of the Q. Yep. Uh, the O has 97,000. Wow. 97,500. 
97,618. The dub has 77,173. And the Q has 38,384. So um, they really for a total, a junior total, since this is what we're talking about here, of 213,175. All-time numbers. With at least one game played in the show. Yeah, NHL alum. So... um, and they they still um, before we really get into the meat and potatoes of the comparison, um, they still outweigh college hockey with those numbers. Yeah, um, they I'm just guessing do by quite a margin. Not really. Um, well, depends on your definition of quite a margin. Um, NCAA um, total through the history of of college hockey has one hundred twenty one thousand. Oh, so, so about. Every every one of every two guys goes college hockey. Got That's it. basically how it's evened out now because it's about half. I'm guessing the recent trend is skewed more toward college. The recent trend is in the last ten years ish, but yeah. which is what I mean. The numbers are the gap is closing. Right. Um, you may not think that way when you still look at the numbers, but they are closing. Um, so yeah. 121,000 total for for Division One college hockey. Uh, over two hundred thousand for for junior. Um, so and again, the, the trends recently more in the favor of college hockey. But who's your who would be the top college school that has the top school that has the, oh. the, in the history that's produced the most in history? I would probably guess uh, North Dakota. If not, uh, I would say somewhere in the top is going to be North Dakota. Probably Boston College and Michigan. Okay, Michigan is number two. Okay. Minnesota's three. North Dakota's four. Oh. BC, Boston College is five. BU. BU is six. Oh. So your top school with 10,372 is Wisconsin. Is that right? Yeah. Huh. So Wisconsin's uh, got your most uh, numbers, uh, your oh. highest numbers. Would so, not have guessed that. So, anyways, um, just an overview there of the numbers. Um, the trend is college hockey is starting to become the popular route. Um, there's a number of reasons, and there's a number of pros and cons. Um, I basically, in my research, um, this is basically a research episode, so bear with us. Um, in the research, um, found articles, different things, just comparing the two. Um, basically, um, college hockey has 60 schools. Right. Um, 62 in the next couple of years. Um, Long Island just joined, and there is a... Uh, St. Thomas, I believe, in Minnesota that is going Division I um, in the next couple of years as well. There's 60, 60 teams in the CHL. Is that right? About, yeah. So they're about the same. Um, Ron Wilson, um, you know Ron Wilson, former, longtime USA Hockey and NHL coach. head coach, yep. um, is quoted in saying, the debate is always going to be there. Um, I think the chances of playing in the NHL are just as great playing college hockey as they are playing junior. Um, With that in mind, uh, there are eligibility concerns. There are different things like that, depending on which route you go. Um, The CHL, just an overview real quick, the CHL includes 
players who have signed professional contracts. Yep. Uh, the NCAA considers it a professional league. So the NCAA considers the CHL a, a professional league. Correct. Um, therefore, players who have played a game, even an exhibition game in the CHL, are deemed ineligible for NCAA. They can sit out one year and then go to the NCAA, correct? So, yeah. yeah. Um, there are paths to have NCAA eligibility reinstated uh, for players who have played a limited number of CHO games, but they are not guaranteed and must be initiated by an NCAA school. Okay. Um, player development. I uh, know that, and uh, we'll do the overview here, and then we'll we'll kind of discuss it. Um, player development. Um, college hockey is producing more than thirty percent of all NHL players. Um, As cur- of this year, currently. Okay. Um, it it success is steeped in development, and we love development. Yes, we do. Um, Coaching and, and training staffs, college coaches are dedicated to their players, helping them achieve their fullest potential. Um, strength and conditioning coaches, trainers, equipment managers, um, giving the ideal environment to improve. Um, CHL has those things too. But um, the, the, the difference, the only difference being, the, the good news is if you're in the CHL, you're playing a more pro-style game. You're playing a more pro style schedule. It's a heavier schedule. It's a longer season. Yeah. Uh, in college, you you play weekends, nearly always just weekends only, and but you still have to go to school at the same time. Yep. But in college, you're basically your eligibility goes until you get out of school, yep. which you can could play be as long as twenty five. Yep. Uh, in the CHL, when you give up that eligibility. Now, at the age of 20, you are aged out of junior hockey, and you either get to turn pro, and if you don't qualify to get some place to get a tryout in the East Coast League or something like that, you've always, you go to Europe, try to catch on there as an import, or the, um, the CHL, to its credit, uh, thank David Branch, um, CHL offers now for every year of service in any of the three major junior leagues, one year of paid Canadian university. So guys still get the opportunity, even if you are never drafted, never seen, never have a chance to make it, make a paycheck. Once you're 20, you could still earn as much as three or four years of university tuition from the CHL, which is a great program. It is. And, but that's recently new though, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's been a yeah. I don't remember what year that was instituted. I want to say it might be fifteen years old. Because I, I want to say it's a competition at that point. Then, if they didn't used to have it, right? It's a way to still lure kids to come play. Absolutely, come play for CHL. So we'll Correct. we'll make we'll we'll make parents comfortable by saying that they can still get an education if they right. by implementing this program. Um, the other thing NCAA does have um, over junior hockey simply because. Um, Revenue for junior hockey does tend to go more toward um, travel and things. Is um, NCAA does have a lot of investors and a lot of school stuff that provides tremendous facilities. Right. Um, not saying junior hockey has poor facilities, but oh, no. but oh, no. they have tremendous tremendous locker room renovations and um, tremendous workout facilities and all these different things on campus. They're big budgets. At NCAA um, to provide true 
well-rounded development for for young men and women who decide to um, go to school and and play college hockey. So they do have tremendous facilities, um, ice shooting bays, you know, where they they can go and shoot pucks, um, weight training, all this stuff. Uh, college schedule uh, has forty games, though. That's the only thing. Yep. Uh, they play forty games overall, mainly on weekends. Um, allowing three or four days a week to focus on practice and office conditioning as well as studying. Uh, so there is a, f- there is, um, an emphasis in college hockey on developing into a tremendous hockey player. Whereas in junior hockey, you go out and play and, and you, you grow that way. Right. Kind of, kind of get that comparison of not saying that there aren't um, weight training facilities or that type of off ice development, but at the number of games played and all this stuff, junior hockey, you're you're learning as you play type of pro schedule, whereas whereas in college you're you're devoting to the off ice stuff more so than than the on ice stuff. Generally, so because you have class, yep. and because there are other there are other aspects to the development in in junior hockey, it is purely hockey, correct. But don't that's not to say that places like uh, you know in, in your top development franchises, like you mentioned earlier, Kelowna, like Brandon, uh, like Sherbrooke and Laval, and and uh, certainly the London Knights. These places really really produce great young men and and uh they really put an emphasis the good developmental guys like the hunter brothers and and uh the guys the mccrimmons in brandon uh years ago and these guys really put their heart and soul into developing young players now there is no college there's no class there's no the the rest of development is not there but the making a making a good young man is oh absolutely the only difference is you only get that guy till he's 20 right so a lot of times your your ability to develop a 17 18 19 year old kid is way diminished from developing a 23 or 24 year old Mm -hmm. so that's why when teams look at this it's becoming such a better option because now your risk you don't have to cut a guy loose at 19 or 20 because he can't make it. Now you've got a kid that maybe came out of the BC or the AJ and he's going to college in the US. Now you can get him to North Dakota or someplace or DU or Boston College and you can watch him develop for another three or four years. If he gets good enough and he doesn't go back into free agency on his own, he gets good enough. Now you can sign him and bring him out of school, which happens every year by with dozens of them. But your your risk in a 24 year old is way way less than it is in a 19 year old. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Dan so, Dan Bilesma um, is quoted as saying uh, the difference between the two, um, and this is his quote is a pro college hockey quote. Um, the difference between the two is um, on ice maturity. Uh, you get a player um, in NCAA that's had longer to develop physically and mentally. Yep. Um, because the, you, you see them going to 20, 21, 22, 24, um, whereas in college hockey, it caps at 20. So uh, the on-ice maturity... Yeah. Uh, so the on-ice maturity is 
um, definitely, I guess, a positive if you're looking at it that way. Yep. There's, there's no question that he's, he's physically more mature. He's mentally more mature. Uh, he may not have had access to the nearly all of the junior hockey systems are run by ex pros. Yep. All of them. So those guys are going to teach you what it is like to be a pro, how to train like a pro, how to act like a pro, interview like a pro, be that kind of a guy who makes the paycheck and is in the public spotlight. In college hockey, it's college hockey. So the influence from a professional standpoint may not be quite as good, but you're getting a way more mature young man. So that's why both of them are completely viable options, and you see that in the stats. They're... It's just a matter of, of, again, same old same old answer to a different question. There's no set pattern. If if you are if you're at the top of the game, and you know that you are destined to make a paycheck at the age of 20 or 21, I would say play major junior. It's going to give you a better jump into the show. If you are a bubble guy and you're you know maybe you're playing junior a provincial junior a you're playing in the ushl that's going to give you an opportunity to continue to play hockey for another three or four years and maybe at the age of 24 or 25 all of a sudden you're blake wheeler right so these are i mean there's there's many ways to go depending on the kid depending on the team that's drafted him and their needs you know you get uh, you get a kid drafted out of out of, uh, well, take um, take our boy Dante Fabro here. He got drafted by the Nashville Predators, very deep on defense. Junior A player was not ready to become a full time NHLer at twenty when he when he was done with his junior or at eighteen or nineteen after he was drafted. So he went to college for a couple of years, give himself a chance to fit into that system. What's the sense of coming out of junior and trying to make it in the in the show and getting whacked and getting sent to the coast or the A when you're when you're in line behind a handful of guys in Nashville that you can't you can't replace in the lineup? So that's why every situation is so different. Oh, absolutely. The the cool thing about college hockey though is you do get fewer games, so they're more intense. You go to a college hockey game and you feel that energy, yeah, um, but you also get you also get um, that energy because you're not the pride of playing for your school, right? The pride of playing for the student section, you know, things like that, right? There's a there's a hero status almost scoring that game winning goal and then walking down campus to class the next day, right? Type right. of thing. So um, there is there is that aspect, whereas junior is more of a professional league where. You get your families that come out and, and have a hot dog and sit and watch and, and kind of feel. And it's not the same in, in environment in that way. In, if in you're s- going to compare the, the atmosphere, if you will. Well, right. Now, you go, to a, you go to a place like North Dakota or Minnesota, Wisconsin, Boston, DU, you get places like this, and some of these, some of these buildings hold 8, 10, 12,000 people, and they're packed, and they're really, really electric. A good-sized junior hockey crowd, and take out the high and the low. So take out London, because they outdraw four or five teams in the NHL. So they they draw maybe four or five thousand people. 
maybe six on a good night. The the kids are the kids are idols in the neighbor in the community. So when you're in a smaller junior hockey town, you know, a Brandon, Manitoba, or a Swift Current, Saskatchewan, something like that, these kids are they're iconic. But it is a little different than college it's because mm-hmm. you're not around thousands of your peers every day walking campus. Yeah. That's all. Oh, absolutely. Um, funny thing in the research, I, I found a, um, an article um, talking about this debate from uh, Nathan McKinnon. And he said, he said, quote, my kid is going to junior 100%. And he said, um, he said, he said something that really fits with the debate. He said, we're here to play games. You know, you, you, you like the rhythm. Yep. Um, he said, I feel like I play better when I play more. Um, and, and he was quoted as this um, recently when the Avalanche had their like college hockey type schedule where they were, where they had four or five days off multiple times and they were right. And everything Routinely. like that. Yeah. Yep. And so, um, and Jared Bednar even agreed. He said, um, "I wouldn't." He said, "I wouldn't think that many players like the college style schedule game. Um, they want to play games. That's the most fun thing to do is to play. Yep. Um, that's what we like as coaches. That's what they like as players. Um, they may th- the think the coaches like practices, but we certainly like to." Uh, and we certainly like to get some practice time in, but everyone in the room is excited to get competing on game night. Um, that's what it's all about. Um, so um, there's there's another there's another aspect to this, and and yes, I think if you asked most of the college players, they would prefer not to go to school, because going to school and playing hockey is kind of it's hippie crap so they're they're sort of like i really don't want to do that i i would prefer not to have to go to class and that's not all of them certainly i'm not indicting everybody as being the same slacker that i was i'm just saying it's easier when all you have to do in the morning is get up and go go to the morning skate get your meal take your nap and go play yeah the so everybody wants to play that's why they're there but there, there's another side of this that a lot of times parents and players don't look at. Even, even the top guys, when you go to the CHL, except for the Ontario League, which is, pro, which is the easiest on travel, you can, have, you can have a season where you are literally on 8, 10, 12-hour bus rides every single weekend. So if you can... If you can eliminate most of that, even if you have to go to class, you can dump those bus rides and get either on a plane in college or go down the road to a, a neighboring school, a competitor. It, like, it, it's so much easier of a lifestyle on a 19-year-old kid. Oh, 100%. Uh, McKinnon also said something that actually f- that actually fits pretty pretty good, too. He said, he said I don't like the attitude with with choosing college hockey which is um the attitude of well what if it doesn't work out right that type of that type of mentality of i'm going college hockey because it might be safe right where if i don't make it well at least i get an education right so what what i don't like the mentality of what it um what if it doesn't work out that's a really good point um it's it's giving yourself a fail safe and 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 instead of just staying completely committed to to making it 
He said my he said my best buddy in Halifax was a fourth liner, and he was he has an unreal school package. Um, he's making money. He's going to school. He's in business school and playing hockey on the side. So you can still do it in junior. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it it's something I never thought about till I read the quote was the attitude yep. of um, not everybody will choose college hockey with because of that attitude. Some prefer college hockey, but it. It is, at least up until recently, up until the recent trends anyway, it is a valid statement. The yeah. attitude of, well, what if it doesn't work out? I want an education. Whereas instead, I wanna, I'm want i going to bet on myself and I'm, and I'm going to do what I need to, whether that be college hockey or junior. Um, that, that's McKinnon was McKinnon was drafted by the Omaha Lancers in the USHL. Oh, was he? Yep. Um, and then while he was at camp, um, their camp, he was drafted, um, selected um, first overall in the in the QMJHL draft um, by Halifax by Bay Como Dracar. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. And then he, but he wanted to play for his hometown in Halifax. Right. So he used the Omaha College route as leverage for the tr- <laughs> for the trade. Good move. And then when uh, Bay Como traded him, he committed to Halifax. And he could play at home. Um, so anyways, I found that interesting, but it's, it's something I didn't think about was that just the attitude nature of, of how you're making your decision. Are you, are you basing it because it's the safe route or are you, or, or how are you doing it? Um, so I think at the end of the day, the debate will never officially be resolved. There's always going to be the, the, which one is best for you and which one is best for your development and which one this or that. Um, but, uh, I think you're starting to see too, you're, you're starting to see the lines drawn a little bit, uh, over the last 15 or 20 years as college hockey develops as a, as a viable option and as a very, very good option for a lot of guys and for a lot of teams, the, the chances of getting, like, are you going to get that kid from, I don't know, Grand Prairie, Alberta? Are you going to talk him into going to school at Long Island University? Is he going to feel out of place there? Or is he going to want to go down the road to Prince Albert or, or Edmonton or someplace? Uh, and by the same token, you get a kid that grew up in the U.S., and, and pick a spot. He grew up in the Philadelphia area or something like that. He grew up into a pretty good player and he's got a several opportunities. He can go play in the USHL in Youngstown or you ship him off to Three Rivers, Quebec. Like, I, don't, I, I don't think a lot of guys are that comfortable at the age of 17 or 18 or 19 even with packing up and moving to some place that is so incredibly foreign to them not just not just maybe with the language barrier in Quebec but in in general the the weather the um the size of the town the size of the community it's a it's a shock to a, a teenage system so i think that's why in general if you look down rosters from the USHL and the provincial junior leagues comparing college hockey to the CHL you're going to see the line drawn pretty not, pretty much along the 49th parallel. So oh, agreed. But I also think it could be argued either way, though, too, right? Um, depend, And it depends on what you want for your child or what you want for yourself. Um, the idea that 
Um, it could also be a shock on the system being 17 years old and now you're basically being billeted and you're an adult right. doing professional like going about professional like days with things. Whereas in college hockey, you also get the campus life and you get the you get the the campus life friendships and you right. get that that kind of structure and you get that type of stuff. So again, um, the trends have been. Um, the line being drawn basically at the border and, and all that stuff. But, um, ultimately I think especially this year and, and recently with, um, different commitments and the growth of college hockey and things, I think you're, um, if you haven't already started to see it, you're going to continue to see not only college hockey continue to grow with the introduction of new schools and new, new, new teams, but also more and more kids from, the other side of the border going, you know what? No, I like that. I can still, I can still develop. I can still play in the NHL. I can still get drafted. I can still do these things, but you know what? I also get one hell of an education and I get that campus life and you don't know. Um, it's not cut out for everybody. It's not something for everybody, but you, you don't know the the awesome feeling of that campus life until you experience it. Right. So it's, it's, that's a good point. And, and that's why it's such a, it's nice that the kids have options. They have the option of playing junior a and going on to college. They have the option of playing major junior. And if they don't make it, they still have the option of going on to Canadian university uh, and having the bill paid by the CHL, which is a, that's an awesome tool. They had to do it that way, but uh, you know, you got to really like what uh, what guys have done in order to still make all these things a possible route for kids. Because the more the more kids you have access to, the more young players that you can evaluate. Especially as you go deep and deep in the draft, now you're only doing yourself a favor because your chances to pick up a really good kid in the sixth round who may come out of college at 24 and be a heck of a player and he really wasn't much to look at at 18 now your your options are are much better much better yep agreed so anyways um maybe a bit of a slow discussion with some of the statistics and everything but um i think it's a discussion that need to be ha- needed to be had um it's a relevant discussion um it as we indeed. first kind of experienced it when we were um looking at the numbers and everything at the bchl showcase um, looking at the numbers of the amount of kids in the BCHL that have committed yeah. to college hockey and have those university commitments and and all these things and Finley Williams and his rights belonging in the in the dub but also um, being committed to to college Is hockey Michigan? same as Kent uh, Michigan he's there yeah. same as Kent Johnson just several a couple years apart um, but no we were looking at the numbers so it became relevant at the beginning of this year when you start to see those numbers numbers grow well and remember so, fans. You uh, you heard the name Finley Williams here last year during the uh, the showcase, and right after as being a star in the making. He was 16 when we saw him. We picked him right out. We're right as usual. He's uh, he's going to be a star. I still think he may get he may be good enough and convinced enough by his agent and his advisors, uh, family and whatnot that that he decides that he doesn't necessarily need to go to Michigan start dangling a really good opportunity in front of him at 19 or 20 to make an, an NHL paycheck, 
uh, what do I need to go to college for? Just exactly. Explain that one to me and, and maybe we'll talk. But the development process, Finley though, with, with things like that, though, really is the determining factor. Um, because I think junior is the viable option if you're if you're a guy like and I don't want to say only if you're a guy like Nathan McKinnon. Right. No, he was. But 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 um, if you are if you're somebody in that realm who can step out of junior at 19 or 20 and go right into an NHL lineup then I think junior is more for you. But if you, if you need, if you need for whatever reason, foot speed or whatever else, if you need two or three extra years, something that junior forget the education part, just in general, the development part of extra time. Now that's um, what I like to hear. Forget that education. (laughs) Um, then NCAA college hockey might be the best route just simply because if you want a better shot at making a roster and you're not a, a guy who has the ability to do that right away at a young age, then maybe college hockey is the best route. So again, um, we'll see specifically if we're talking about him, how Finley Williams fares in the next year or two as he pushes toward either starting school or committing to Swift Current, which is where his rights belong to. Um, we'll see how how his development goes that way, and if he continues in that trend, and then I think that'll that'll be the ter- determining factor on on which route he goes. But I just remember remember that you heard that name here on War Room, the hockey podcast. First, you yes. heard him at the age of sixteen. We told you he was going to be a star. He will be a star. Keep uh, keep that name in the back of your mind. Amaze your friends when you tell them that you knew all about Finley Williams five years before he ever made it as a big-time star in the NHL. Yes. Anything else you want to add? Because uh, well, I see you looking at some notes. So no, anything I else just, you want to add? No, I, uh, not really. I mean, uh, that, was a, that was a good, uh, a good comparison of the two. And, uh, you know, I like, I just, like, again, I like having the option. Um, the kids are, uh, the kids haven't made now. I mean, if you're a good enough player, you now have just, you got hundreds of teams to play on between the USHL, the CHL, the provincial juniors, the ability to go on to college. There's even guys who came through the CHL, went to Canadian university and then turned pro. Mm-hmm. So, um, they, there's, there's really a lot of options, the good options for the kids, good options for the teams. So anyway, uh, transitioning real quick, um, cue the game show music. Uh Oh, no, we don't have game. We don't have game show music, but we are doing some trivia. Oh no. Let's uh, get some trivia. This is more for my entertainment. Just to ask some questions, but you like making me squirm. If we start getting to all the listeners out there, if we start getting more engagement, I'll put some trivia questions on social media and have some to see if any of the listeners can answer them. And depending on the following yet or whatever, maybe or maybe not, we can develop some prizes or whatever else. But until then, this is just my for my enjoyment. So game show music is playing in my head. Perfect. As we prepare. I have a I have a uh, wind up monkey playing the cymbals in my head. Flip. Yep. Okay. Um, Question one. Let's have some fun. There's more than one. Yes. What is done to pucks before a game to ensure they don't bounce during play? They freeze them, put them in a bucket of slush. 
Look at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many feet wide is a standard ice rink? 85. Look at you. Ha! Which uh, hockey arena was the first to have a four-sided game clock in 1932? Oh, 1932? Gosh, I was only a little guy back then. <laughs> uh, gosh, I... Phooey. 32. I'm... I'm going to say the old um, the Detroit Olympia. Maple Leaf Gardens. Really? Maple Leaf Gardens. Ooh, here's, here's an interesting one. A team anagram. You know what an anagram is? Yes. Okay. Guess the team from this anagram. Okay. Shriveled pan roast. <laughs> Shriveled pan roast shriveled pan roast and it's an nhl team just is the, that the letters are jumbled to make other words so shriveled uh, pan roast oh, i'm drawing blank pan um, roast help me out what Nashville Predators. Oh, <laughs> the, the shriveled. I, I should have that. That should have been a giveaway. All right, let's do one or two more. Pittsburgh Penguin Andy Fearless Brown was the last NHL player to play without what? Andy Brown. Um. May, I was, let's see. It's down to either um, left frontal lobe in his brain, maybe right <laughs> eyeball, uh, left testicle. I don't know. Help! I, I don't know. Face mask. It was he a goaltender? You, uh, you don't ask me the questions. No. <laughs> I ask you the questions. Thanks. All right, um, and finally, which former mayor of New York City is known to announce penalties at New York Rangers games? Man, I have no idea. Ed Koch. Is that right? Yeah. Know that. Anyways. Well. Cue game show music. Thanks for playing. Um, Some lovely parting gifts for you. Anyways, uh, I just want to say re- one thing on a very serious note. We talk a lot about rosters. We talk a lot about healthy scratches and and uh, you know guys that don't get in game action. And I just want to remind everybody out there that in today's sensitive social climate, black aces matter. <laughs> Remember that. So let's all keep matter. that in mind. Yes. All right. Well. Uh, I guess what we're looking forward to this coming week is uh, continue training camp, making sure players stay healthy, and we get to uh, August 1st. We get to August 1st for the start of the playoffs. Yes, and so. let, let the healing begin for the hockey world. Yes. I, you know what's really weird, though? In the first couple of days of camp, and we're only a few days into it, there have already been, what, a dozen or so cases of guys mysteriously leaving practice? 
or being totally absent and the teams are saying nothing mm -hmm. about where these guys are. And I'm talking about, like you mentioned, Pasternak, Crosby. There's some high-profile guys that are just poof. Yep. Like, what's going Disappear on? Disappear into the abyss. Yeah. Um, anyways, thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Uh, listeners of the Driving Force Behind What We Do, we can't thank you enough for continuing to tune in. Um, make sure you head to Facebook and Instagram, War Room the Hockey Podcast and at War Room the Hockey Podcast, respectively. Make sure you like, you follow, uh, engage with us, write in questions like our friend John Leahy. Um, and yeah, make sure you head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, share. Continue to help us grow, and we greatly appreciate it. So thank you for tuning, joining in studio this week. If I'm not here for a while, I'm going to be self-isolating at Breakaway Brewing. Just so you know. New beers, new tacos. So, yes. yes. Uh, th thank you for joining the studio again. My pleasure. Um, Always. Thank you all for joining us and tuning in. Thank you for your patience and your continued support. I'm Evan Rauer with War Room, the Hockey Podcast. I will see you all throughout the hockey community. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.